Thanks, Subi, for this nice introduction. I'm glad to be here. And I try to tell you something about what the LHC can really tell us about uh, dark matter. Um, but before I do this, I think I have to recall what is the evidence that we have for dark matter. And all these evidences are not really in a laboratory, but they come from gravitational interaction. Okay? And um, these evidences come from different sources. And uh, what I think is important uh, that you should take from this is that we can really look at different astrophysical uh, observations at very different length scales. Okay, and I start here at a very small length scale at a spiral uh, galaxy. And this is one of the first evidence uh, for dark matter. Uh, so if you look at the uh, velocity as a function of the radius of this galaxy, then uh, what you would uh, get from Newton's dynamic, if you go farther away, then Newton would tell you that you should see a velocity that falls off as 1 over the square root of the radius. If you have a disk, so if a, a disk of a matter, visible matter here, stars and stuff. But what you see is that uh, it is really very, very different. Yeah? So you have first here what you would expect, but then uh, the observation deviates from uh, the, your prediction and you reach a, a constant instead of an, a 1 over uh, square root r fall off. Okay? So this kind of tells you that there is some dark stuff, meaning that it doesn't emit light, yeah, but it interacts gravitational, and there's more stuff in this galaxy that you can see. Okay? Now you can go to higher, to larger distances, and you can look at not only galaxies, but you can really look at uh, clusters of galaxies. And one of these uh, clusters of galaxies is called Bullet Cluster. These are two clusters of galaxies that uh, merged yeah, and passed through each other. And this is what you observe if you look at the mass density contours. So here's the density profiles. So the masses are mostly here and here. And this you get from gravitational lensing. And then you can also look at an X-ray image. And you see that uh, the, uh, the normal matter yeah, radiates here. Yeah, and this is located here. Yeah, so see, you see that these things are displaced, which tells you that the, the mass density and the density of uh, the visible matter doesn't really line up. Okay? What you can also learn from this, uh, to some extent, is that these additional matter, dark matter, has essentially collisionless interactions. Yeah? So it simply passes through each other while, these other while matter is slowed down and radiates off. Okay? Finally, you can go to higher, um, larger distances, larger scales, and you can even try to simulate this. Yeah? What happens to the evolution of the universe if you simply put a dark matter profile and also some dark energy into it, and you can put it on a computer, yeah, so you have a, a huge number of particles, and then you simply solve this numerically. Okay, you start at an early time, so, yeah, so 0.05 giga years, and then you turn on the simulation, and the idea is that you want to have at the end something that looks pretty much what we observe. Okay? And what you see, the final picture, will depend on uh, how much matter, dark matter, and how much dark energy and how much normal matter you will pu put in. Yeah? 
Because, for example, if you have more dark matter, things will, uh, there will be more gravitation and you, things will clump more than they should be, okay? So let's uh, start this. Um, this is what you see, okay? So you start with a uniform density and then due to gravitational interactions, things start to clump, okay? The universe is expanding and you don't really see this here, yeah? Uh, but now you see that you create some structure, you see these filaments that arise, okay? And then at the end, you see that you have a lot of structure here. And as I said, if you put more dark matter in, you would get more, this all would become more clumpy, okay? So it wouldn't really fit nicely with the observation, yeah? Okay? It also depends on how you, what kind of dark energy you put in. And if you combine these uh, observations, then you can come up with really kind of an idea what is the content of the universe. And the content of the universe, you can depict it in such a pie chart. So 3% are ordinary matter. This is what we are made out of, okay? 23% is dark matter, and the rest, yeah, uh, essentially 75% or 74% is dark energy, okay? This is the most mysterious uh, thing that nobody really understands what this is, yeah? Uh, but I will only talk about uh, dark matter, so 23 plus 3%, okay? because the other thing nobody understands, and I don't dare to really uh, speak about that's something nobody understands. Good. Okay, so, but what is dark matter? So there's, I think, convincing evidence that this dark matter has gravitational interactions, okay? But that's not enough for me, at least being a particle physicist, I think it's not enough for me. What I really want to know is, is there a particle, and how does this fit into a particle description, okay? So what do we know if you think about a particle, okay? We know, this is already due to its name, it's dark, it's neutral, so it doesn't interact with uh, photons, for example, or only a little bit, really not very much, okay? It is massive, okay, because otherwise we would not see it in the evolution of the universe, it would not interact gravitationally. But we don't really know how massive it is. It could be electron volt, it could be TeV scale, yeah? So we really have no idea. Uh, um, it is still around today, so this means it's either fully stable or it has a lifetime that exceeds the age of the universe, yeah? So it must be some kind of a long-lived particle um, that hasn't decayed so far. Then we can look at the standard model, and uh, this is already what you saw. We have ver these various particles. Um, nothing in the standard model of particle, unfortunately, fits this profile. Yeah? So there's no particle that we have in the standard model that has these properties. Okay? Good. This means that, essentially, we have to go beyond the standard model and introduce new physics. Yeah? And... Um, that's what I will try to tell you about. So as I said, what we want to do is really, <laughs> we, we want to somehow fill in this uh, questionnaire, yeah? So we want to, we know it interacts gravitationally, but we have no idea. We don't know its mass, we don't know its spin, we don't know its lifetime. We do not know if it has weak interactions, if it interacts with Ws or Zs, yeah? We don't know that. It, we don't know if it acts with the Higgs. We do not know if it interacts with quarks and gluons, with leptons, if it's a thermal relic, yeah? Uh, we really don't know that. I mean, we have essentially no knowledge, okay? 
about it, a part that it interacts gravitationally. So this is something that you know you need to do experiments in order to fill this in. Yeah? And I will tell about various experiments a little bit where um, essentially uh, only combining those experiments, I think you can really fill all, tick all these boxes and fill in what, uh, what it is. Good. So what are the particle probes of dark matter? Okay, there are essentially three ways to uh, search for dark matter um, with a human-built detector. Okay, so the first search strategy strategy is called indirect detection. Okay, so the idea is here: you have uh, dark matter particles, which I will always call X, or if you speak Greek, it would be a xi, um, and then you assume, and this is this. This is due to all of these methods that you can look at, that there must be some interaction between these dark matter particles and the standard model particle. So there must be some coupling, otherwise we can never see it. Okay? And I, I simply parameterize this by this blob. It's a kind of a black box and something happens there, but we don't really know what happens there. Okay? And the first thing is that you have these dark matter particles and you annihilate them and you generate some st standard model particles, for example photons. Yeah? So you have this thing and there's a small coupling somehow of this dark matter to photons and then you look for photons. Okay? And this is for example what this Fermi telescope, a satellite is doing. So it looks and tries to detect something. For example it looks for gamma ray lines. Okay? This would be a line, yeah, a bump sticking out of a background. Okay? Essentially flat background. Okay? The second possibility is now you can somehow take this blob and turn it around. Yeah? And uh, the, the second possibility is called direct detection. What you would look at there is scattering of dark matter on standard model particles. Okay? And this is something uh, you can do, for example, in the Lux detector where Oxford is involved. So the idea is that the standard model particle comes in here. He scatters uh, on, uh, in the detector, produces a photon, and then you have an electric field here, and you have photomultipliers sitting here, yeah? and then you get some uh, cascade of this photon of electrons, and then you detect this. Yeah? So you start with a very small signal, and then you look at how this evolves in time, and this, uh, the, the electrons move up here, and they produce uh, a larger signal. Okay? And from the way how this is, how this, this signal and this signal relate, you can somehow interfere something about the energy of this uh, that has been uh, yeah, uh, put in from this particle uh, into the detector. Okay? The last thing is you can again turn the, uh, the diagram around and you start with standard model particles. And this is what collider searches do. And uh, you, you take uh, protons, or you could also take electrons, smash them together, and then you look at uh, what happens. Yeah? And you look for dark matter particles. Okay? And this is what is done at the LHC at CERN. Um, some people might have heard that uh, there are already some uh, uh, hints of dark matter. Okay? And these hints um, came from both uh, indirect and direct detection experiments. So there are many of these experiments, and some of them um, had some small deviation from what is expected. For example, there's these Fermilat uh, collaborations. 
what has to say that this collaboration didn't really claim evidence, but some theorists that analyzed the data did. <laughs> and they found a bigger number than what uh, Fermilab did. So let me tell you what is here. So they look at um, events, essentially. And they look at uh, a mono, uh, photons at a certain energy. And this is uh, kind of the background that you would get. And then you see a little uh, bump sticking out here. Yeah? I mean, it's very not really, I mean, it's not a huge bump, as you can see. So this, if the experimental collaboration analyzes this data, they find the evidence, a local significance of something like three sigma. Yeah? So this is certainly not a proof that this is something. But uh, it's, uh, I mean, could be a hint, but uh, one should not really take this uh, maybe extremely seriously. And um, a second, a second uh, evidence or pot potential hint uh, for dark matter is, uh, comes from CDMS, for example. Uh, so they have, uh, they look at this a direct detection experiment where you see that uh, there are three events, of really a lot of events, that could be dark matter, okay? What I should also see is that essentially the detector is only sensitive up to this line, yeah, so only sensitive to here, and this event sit right there. Okay? I'm not an experimental physicist, but I assume that you know um, this is also the region where it's very, very difficult to understand the detector. Yeah? While you understand the detector well here, at the border of your detection, it's probably very difficult. Yeah? And another thing is that one has to say is that uh, other experiments are a little bit of in conflict with this observation, yeah? So they don't really fit together if you put them all in the same plot, okay? So I think it's fair to say that uh, given these large backgrounds uh, in both cases, and also the fact that in the case of uh, both indirect detection and direct detection, we cannot really a switch off and on the signal, meaning we cannot really control the flux of dark matter. Yeah? So we have no control of the experiment itself. It's very difficult that you can say that this is really a hint of dark matter or essentially possible. And this is, of course, something that you can do at LHC because I can essentially turn the protons off and on, the beam off and on. I can somehow regulate the flux of dark matter or indirectly yeah, if it's there. So this is something, it's a really more controlled environment if you want, okay? Good. So the idea at the production of dark matter at LHG is as follows, yeah? If dark matter particles are sufficiently light, okay, meaning they should be below the TV because otherwise we don't have enough energy to produce them at LHC, and if they couple the quarks or gluons, we should be able to produce them at the LHC, okay? So you should see them in the atlas detector, essentially, um, if you're lucky. And by studying dark matter production in proton-proton collisions, we are testing, what we really do is we test the inverse of the process that kept dark matter in thermal equilibrium in the early universe, okay? If you're very lucky, we will not only find dark matter, so these X particles, but there might be a, a really other states of a dark sector, okay? that someone talks to these dark matter particles, and they are no longer present in the universe, okay, because otherwise they would be, if they would be stable, it would also be consist dark matter, but they have decayed already. But they could be, could give a link between this hidden sector, between the dark sector and the standard model, okay? 
So there might be even more than only one particle. There might be a whole zoo of particles, and uh, one could, in principle, uh, see all of them. So how do you see the invisible? Okay. So if the dark matter particles interact, uh, they interact very weakly. Okay. This is already clear. So you will not. Uh, so what will happen is um, they will fly out of the detector. Okay, so you'll produce them, but then they fly out. This is pretty much what you what happens to neutrinos. Yeah, for example, if you produce neutrinos, they interact so weakly that they fly out of the detector and you don't see anything. Okay. A way to see them, there are essentially two techniques. One way to see them is that um, you look at missing momenta. Okay. So how does this work? You look at additional standard model radiation. Uh, so for example, this initial standard model particle in the initial uh, um, state radiate off a photon. Okay? Okay? And then you look also if your event contains some missing momenta. Okay? Let me show you an, an event that shows this quite clearly. Okay? So this is the Atlas detector again. So the beam is going into the blackboard and out out from the blackboard, uh, and this is sliced up, okay? So you see this thing here is transverse to the beam, okay? And you see that there's a spray of particle here, which is called a jet, so these are gluons and quarks, and uh, they have energy and momentum, and you measure this energy and momentum here, okay? What you also see is that there's nothing here, Okay, so there's some kind of problem because it looks like that energy momentum is conserved. Yeah, there's something here, but nothing here. Okay, good. Of course, there's something here, uh, and this is this missing momentum. Yeah, so by measuring this, yeah, what is called a monojet event, uh, an event that has essentially only one uh, gluon or one jet, you can infer that there must be something here. Yeah. And this, for example, is probably a neutrino. Yeah? You produce the two neutrinos and they fly out of the detector. But it could also be dark matter. Okay? You don't know. The second possibility is slightly more complicated, but it's also very interesting. Um, because what you would do here, you would not directly produce this dark matter, so this X state, but you would produce some, a partner state. And then this partner state would decay into the standard model and the dark matter. Okay, this is another possibility, and you will see later that uh, this is, for example, realized in supersymmetry. Okay, good. So this is the other possibility. Then this, uh, depending on how this partner decays, has not this very nice and clean signature. Yeah, you have more activity in the detector. You have more jets and so on. Yeah, so it's a maybe more difficult to really pin that down. Good. So like uh, Juan and uh, uh, Julia told you, we have seen the Higgs, and the Higgs essentially was bump hunting. Yeah, so uh, here's again this uh, curve uh, that has been shown. This is um, the events as a function of the invariant mass of the uh, diphoton pair. And you see this little nice bump here. And if you zoom in, you see it's a clear signal. Okay. Um, if you do this for the Z, if you have two Zs and then decaying to two leptons, you do not even have to zoom in. The bump really sticks out of the background. Okay. And 
to give an idea, I now compare this situation to what uh, it will look like if you see dark matter, okay? Also notice that this is a linear scale here, okay? So it's a number of events in a linear scale. So this is what you see uh, if you have linear scaling. So the, here is the missing energy, okay, or the missing momentum. Red is the standard model background. This is essentially if you produce, in this case, a Z plus a jet, and the Z decays two neutrinos, okay? Then you see a dark matter signal, which is hardly visible. It's here. This is this green stuff, okay? Good. Being a theorist, it's easy. You simply turn to logarithmic scaling, <laughs> and everything becomes completely obvious. Um, so you see that um, now uh, there is a, in the tail region, and that's why I call it tail surgery, you see that there is a clear and large deviation, okay? Of course, it's very misleading because uh, now this is 10 to the minus 2. Yeah, so there's essentially no event there. Uh, but um, yeah, that's how it is. So, and this tells you that this is really, I mean, it's really more complicated than the Higgs, yeah, in some way. Yeah, because you really have to understand these backgrounds even better yeah, than you did in the case of the, of the Higgs. Good. So the question is really for experimentalists, how well can I measure the few events sitting in the tail? Okay, and the theorist should ask, how well can I calculate these small numbers? Yeah? So the question is really, how precise do I have to know all these things? Okay? And of course, the theorist, usually we don't do this, but um, uh, didn't find a different picture. And, so, and sorry, Ellen, for this. <laughs> okay, so, how, so what do, you, do we have to know? What do we need uh, to know? I mean, one thing is that we really need precise QCD predictions, meaning precise standard model prediction, and they involve a lot of ingredients. Yeah? So you need the expertise of different people. So you need the expertise, for example, of Juan that knows how to compute this here, the pattern distribution functions, which tell you essentially if you ask for a quark and a given momentum, how likely it is to find this quark in the proton. Okay? Good. Then what happens is um, uh, then you have some kind of a hard scattering process. So here I show the, a standard model event that would give rise to a, a jet and a missing energy. So you produce a Z boson and a gluon, for example, and then the Z decays to neutrinos. Those fly out of the detector, okay? And you have to compute this. Either you can compute this at tree level, or you, if you are really good, yeah, like Julia, for example, then you can do this at loop order. Yeah? You add gluons and so on. But that's not enough. So then what happens is that uh, these gluons radiate of more gluons and also quarks, and this is called a parton shower. Yeah? So typically you have some uh, uh, numerical code that yeah, does all this, so it uh, computes all the emissions of additional gluons in a certain approximation, okay? Finally, what you need is, you don't see a gluon and you don't see the quark in the detector. What you see at the end are pions, leptons, and photons, yeah? So you have to hadronize uh, uh, this, cluster these events, yeah? So you have, out of the gluons, you have to make jets, hadronize uh, everything, and then even have to include the case of these things, yeah? So you see, it's a very complicated process. It involves a lot of calculation, different techniques. Yeah? 
And, but you really need it because otherwise you will never be able to somehow figure out what is the signal, what is the background, okay? Good. What you also need, of course, is you also need a theory to describe this dark matter interactions, yeah? So you need the standard model in order to tell you what the background is, but you also have to need, you need an idea of what this dark matter theory can look like. And the idea is that, um, well, it's probably very likely that with these three search strategies, if you only take one of them, yeah, you cannot really figure out, even in the case of a discovery, what are these, all these properties? What is the mass of the dark matter, the spin, what is, uh, how does it interact and so on? You probably need uh, more of the, all of this experiment, all of this search strategy to really fill in all the gaps. And then the idea is that there's a certain complementarity, yeah, that if you find evidence for dark matter in one type of search, then if you have a theory, you can also predict what you would expect in another kind of search. And then you can see whether you see something or not. And in this way, by combining this information, you can try to kill models, yeah, or say this is not the correct description and so on, okay? In fact, there's really no lack of theoretical models because, um, I mean, theories are rather creative and uh, so there can be a, a lot of theories of physics beyond the standard model. There's, of course, supersymmetry. There are some kind of extra-dimensional theories with either a warped extra-dimension or universal extra-dimensions. There are things called little Higgs models. Uh, it could, of course, be an axion this, for example, would be something that uh, you would not be able to detect at the LHC, so a very weakly coupled particle, yeah? You, so you would need a different experiment for this. Could be also some kind of neutrinos. Uh, there's some asymmetric dark matter that uh, Suber worked on. So th there's really a, a, really a variety of ideas, okay, of new physics. And ma very many of these theories, in fact, do have a dark matter candidate, yeah? It's not difficult to make a new physics model and to have a dark matter candidate. Essentially, the only thing is that you need a symmetry, uh, a set two symmetry, so a symmetry between x and minus x, yeah? And then this is a stable particle. And this is easy to cook up in essentially every uh, models, okay? So you can either look at it in this way, but this, as you see, the cartoon that was made by Tim Tate, uh, is very, uh, yeah, it would be better if you have some kind of a guideline. And uh, I think you can cook up a guideline. So you can somehow look at the spectrum of dark matter theory space, okay? Let me explain this a little bit, okay? What you can do is you can really look at a complete model, a complete theory that contains uh, the dark matter and in general also a lot of other stuff, okay? So these are models like, for example, the minimal supersymmetric standard model, like universal extra dimensions, and also like little Higgs theory, where you have a potential dark matter candidate, and then you have a slew of other particles that are not needed for dark matter, but maybe, for, maybe good for other purposes, okay? Then you can make it less uh, complicated, uh, and I've explained this, you can talk about simplified models. Yeah? This can be, for example, a set prime model where there's a, a heavy partner of the set boson, a dark photon. You can talk about squarks or Higgs portal. 
And then there's even a, a even less complete option and an even simpler option that you talk about effective field theories. And I also will discuss this a little bit. So let me talk about uh, this part of this uh, spectrum, which are the complete theories, okay? And complete really means complicated. Um, so what you have to do is um, you have to at least add another layer to the standard model. Yeah? So uh, here's the standard model, and in this picture I added the particles that you have in the minimal supersymmetric standard model. Okay? So for each particle, you get a superpartner in this, uh, in this MSSM, and you also get additional Higgses. Okay? So you have really an enhanced uh, spectrum of particles. Okay? Um, in total, it turns out, if you look at how many parameters this adds to your models, it's more than 100. Yeah? And for, uh, fortunately, many of these 100s have essentially to be zero, because otherwise it would be uh, in, in conflict with other observations we made. So it boils down that uh, in the MSSM, typically what you have to consider are 20 additional parameters that can be relevant for dark matter physics. But you already see it. there are 20 parameters, and depending on how you choose this, you can get, can get very different uh, observations and very different uh, yeah, collider phenomenology. Okay? So what is, how can you take, for example, production of dark matter in the MSSM? And there are very many ways, but uh, let me talk, uh, tell you about one way to do it. Okay? So one way to do is that uh, you have the proton and you strip off some gluons, and uh, these gluons produ produce the, the supersymmetric partner of the top, which is called the top squawk or the stop. Okay? And you produce them, and these then decay to top quarks and uh, uh, dark matter, so missing energy. Okay? Good. And this is one possibility. And now you can try to look, uh, or people looked for this, in, uh, at ATLAS again, for example. And um, this is, I really simplify things now quite a bit because this can depend on a lot of parameters, but I only show some kind of a slice of this uh, higher dimensional parameter space. Yeah? So here's the stop mass, okay? And here is the uh, neutralino mass, okay? And all the other masses I don't show, which could, in principle, contribute to this. What you can see here is uh, um, that, um, first of all, these different colored regions correspond to different search strategies. Okay? You really look at different final states. Okay? And you see that even if you do this, then uh, there are some gaps here. Yeah? which you cannot probe. Yeah? So all these uh, colored things, these are excluded, essentially, yeah? while everything white is not excluded. Yeah? And even in such a very simple situation, due to kinematic re reasons, there are, is no exclusions here. Okay? If you look at the overall uh, scale that we can probe, or that the LHC in run uh, one was able to probe, then you see that if this dark matter particle is uh, heavier than around 250 GV, then it's all unprobed. Okay? And one should put this into the context that in effect that uh, the, ha the, the, the most massive standard model particle, that being the top quark, is 175 GV. Yeah? So you see in this case, 
you really did do, do not probe uh, very heavy objects, yeah? So it's only a little bit uh, uh, that you go, uh, that you have already probed in the standard model. So what are the, what are the possible improvements of this? So people studied this, this uh, Atlas simulation, and what you essentially see is that uh, by uh, running the LHC at high luminosity, yeah, at the end of uh, uh, its run, you will be able to, pr uh, to uh, push this up to 600 GeV. Yeah? So you gain a factor of more than two. Yeah? But 600 GeV is still not a really a huge scale, right? It's not free TV, okay? This tells you also that this is very complicated and um, yeah, people are work have to work very hard on it. Good. So let me now go to the other end of complexity, and this is uh, effective field theory descriptions. And this is really effective means easy, because what you really do is that um, you assume that the dark matter particles are the only new states that you can produce at the LHC. Okay? So what you assume that uh, your new model has a spectrum like this, so here's the standard model. Yeah. Here, a little bit up in the mass, is this dark matter candidate. And then there's a mass gap. And then you have heavier states. Okay. But they are not accessible at the LHC directly. Okay. And in such a way, you can describe this production of dark matter in an effective way. And the idea is that you, uh, there's a systematic way to remove these particles. Okay and capture their interactions with the dark matter um, in a systematic way. And essentially the idea is that you do what you did for the Fermi theory. Yeah? So if you are at low energies, you cannot see the W, but it looks to you like a four-point interactions. And the same thing you can uh, apply here. Okay? So let me walk you through this uh, exercise here. So let's take a simple model where you couple quarks to a new gauge boson, which I call Z1. So it's a heavy version of the, um, the Z. And then it said couples to this dark matter. Okay? You write down an expression for this. And this is very simple. The expression is simply G squared, which is the coupling here and coupling here. And then there's a propagator, which gives you P squared minus MZ1 squared. Okay? And then there's some kind of a structure, uh, which uh, classifies here this kind of, kind of interaction, okay? Now the idea is that uh, what you do in the case of Fermi theory, you assume that these momenta here are much smaller than this mass, okay? And then you can simply do an expansion, yeah, which is not even an expansion here. You simply set P squared to zero here, and you get something like this here, yeah? Okay? Um, that's the idea. And then at the end, what... Uh, this mathematical expression has also a counterpart as some kind of a diagram. So you have a local interaction here, and this local interaction will be suppressed by one over the mass, uh, a mass yeah, scale, okay? If you wish, this is G Fermi, the coupling in the Fermi theory, yeah? which is also a mass, uh, a, a dimensional parameter, okay? And the nice thing if the, with this uh, an theory, uh, uh, such an e effective description is that the information on the heavy states is encoded in a single, a single coupling, namely this object here. Yeah? 
So all what ha has happened here, you kind of parameterize by one coupling, okay? And what is happening here, this is um, parameterized by this uh, local interaction, but this is independent of the heavy physics. So you separated these uh, scales, okay? Good. So what, now you can do this, and you can do this for very different operators or interactions. And roughly speaking, what the LHC can probe is this mass scale of 700 GV, okay? And you also see that um, uh, the, the LHC bound is very good, and the best somehow for very light dark matter. And then at some point, uh, if it becomes too heavy, you can simply not have not enough energy to produce this, and your bound goes down, yeah? So everything below this is again uh, excluded by LHC. And now in this effective theory, there's a very simple uh, comparison between uh, LHC bounds and direct detection bounds. So you can take this uh, bound on this uh, suppression scale, on this mass scale, and uh, compute from this the dark matter nucleon cross-section, okay? And this is what you find. Uh, this is the bound, and this everything there is uh, forbidden. And in the case of direct detection, uh, this is excluded by direct detection. And what you see is that at some point, because uh, direct detection uh, measures the nuclear recoil energy, yeah, and you cannot measure arbitrarily small nuclear recoil energies, yeah, at some point there is no bound here. Okay? And this is where the LHC is most sensitive to the cross-section yeah, and uh, provides them the strongest bounds. Okay? For other interactions, is even uh, the LHC can even do much better than direct detections. This is for spin-dependent interactions, and this is due to the fact that uh, for such interactions you lose the coherence, so you have scattering on uh, not the whole um, uh, nuclei, but uh, on each of the particles. Yeah. Okay, and then you see that uh, here the LHC bound doesn't really change a lot, but direct detection moves from here to here, and it's you're doing much better. Then the last point I want to discuss, and this is sim simply is, is also very active here, so Oxford is involved in this activity to define the simplified dark matter models. And um, the idea is here that um, you can also make this a little bit more interesting, and you consider models that uh, do contain the dark matter, and the most important state mediating the interactions, yeah? So from these very heavy states, you pull one down a little bit and you make it accessible at the LHC, okay? So this means that you cannot only produce this guy, but you can also produce this guy at the LHC, okay? And um, this has the advantage that unlike effective field theories, these simplified models really can describe the full kinematics of the dark matter production at the LHC. Yeah, the effective theory cannot be, not because, for example, if you probe this mass of this of this resonance that you produced, you will see deviation from the kinematics. Okay, this you have to pay a price for this. So in this case, having one, instead of having one parameter, you have a few parameters, but it's still not 20. So you have typically three or four parameters to describe this. Okay, let me summarize. So dark matter implies physics beyond the standard model. Um, and in order to understand uh, dark matter, you need to have a theoretical, uh, new theoretical concepts. And these can either be complete models like the MSSM, 
but it's also fruitful to uh, think about less defined, more hazy sketches of theory. Yeah? Okay. Um, the searches at the LHC in underground experiments in astrophysical observations, they naturally target different parts of the dark matter theory space and they complement each other. Okay? Uh, once we really have a detection, then I think it's fair to say that we really need all these techniques to figure out uh, uh, what dark matter really is, okay? to fill out all the, um, to tick all the boxes and uh, to tell us all these parameters. And I think that the LHC can really bring these sketches of dark matter to life if we are lucky. Thank you very much.